Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe. Talking Joe podcast. Talking Joe's there. Talking Joe thought we would last. Talking Joe is there. Find each other like a married couple. A podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the codename for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. We are on our soapbox. Nobody seems to care. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble. The podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. Talking Joe. Talking Joe is on the air. Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. We are again looking at the G.I. Joe Disavowed Era, and today we are discussing G.I. Joe 629, The Ark Reckonings, from Devil's Due slash Image in 2002. The Devil's Due episodes are fortnightly, and they are sandwiched in between our coverage of IDW, ARA, and all sorts of other fun shenanigans. In this episode, as well as covering uh, a four-parter, and the return of a classic G.I. Joe artist on cover duties will be picking out our highlights and lowlights. We'll be looking at a featured toy from Jay and egged on by Tim's enthusiasm for the segment. The Innuendo Giggle Challenge will continue and we'll ask all of the big questions like, will Mark be able to finish recording the podcast before he is killed by his wife for being late for dinner? And can we spot any cats meowing in the background? All this and more in today's <laughs> thrilling instalment. So without further ado, let me introduce my co-host. First up, Higumna Nitpicker, turn around. It's a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hi, Mark. Hello, listeners. And rounding out our crew, it's G.I.J. It's Jay Cordray. Hi, Joe fans. <laughs> okay, so that's... <laughs> Uh, sound effects so uh what what's been going on this week we had this week uh we had the drop of our sketchbook special as the last episode so doing something a little bit different rather than just releasing our standard audio podcast yeah it was fun uh talking about art and hopefully people enjoyed it and uh Chief has already stolen the format, so we'll be seeing some uh, talking art, <laughs> talking sketchbook art. And also this week, I launched the Talking Joe Patreon, so you can head over to patreon.com slash Talking Joe if you want to join in with that and support the show. Uh, if you become a Patreon member, you can get some exclusive behind-the-scenes stuff like early looks, jingles, that kind of thing. Uh, but I'm not going to make a big sing and dance about it unless I do. Ooh, I can make a jing jingle. That would be a sing and dance. Uh, <laughs> never mind. How are you guys getting on? Uh, any excitement over the last week? I think it's been a normal week, Jay. Just drawing. Did you guys see my beachhead the other day? 
Yeah, yeah. you did two beachheads, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. beachhead yeah, on your mind. Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, if anybody thinks that might be a hint to what I talk about in Jay Talks Toys, you would <laughs> probably be right. Uh, yeah. And, and I came it's back from break Saturday. and I was pretty excited. And, and my, my buddy was like, he said, wow, you must have drank a pot of coffee or something when you were on break. And, <laughs> and I actually had drank a, a Starbucks uh, double shot espresso, but that wasn't why I was you know excited. I was like, well, um, yeah, I kind of uh, I did. But I think more was just, um, you know, the buzz that you get when when you you draw something and it's it's working for you, you know. Um, the background on that one is is lacking because it was just you know like I said on on our on our Facebook page it was just a thirty minute uh, inking job and, and there wasn't really any background but uh, yeah I felt really good about that one liked the way that turned out nice uh, I guess the, I I guess the news of my week is that uh, I I approved a sign manufacturer to make a new sign for my comic book store right we're in this renovation our new sign is going to be light up but also uh, I hired a designer to redesign the store logo and it 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 looks similar but it's refreshed and lots of fun so a local company that makes awnings and signs is starting to make our sign and hopefully it'll get installed in a couple weeks although i don't think we're i don't think the electrician will show up to connect it until later oh it's all going on and uh yeah always always a delight to see your weekly youtube updates with uh with the goings on at the hub comics renovation Thanks. What's your square footage there, Tim? Like, how much is going to be actual store space? Because the area that you show in the videos appears to be pretty big. The store is really, really, really high ceilings as well. Yeah, yeah. The stores, the store has always been and will be eleven hundred square feet. Wow. It's 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 two rooms. Although we sort of uh, made it more like one large room Mm -hmm. because we there was some wall that we didn't need. But uh, so this week's uh, ad, this week's youtube and instagram one minute video update it's not about the sign because that was just me sitting at my computer typing an email this week's ad (laughs) is how to make your own hub comics renovation update and it is my favorite ad so far and that was hilarious thanks i said i think mark's rubbing off on you with the and I said, uh, t- Tim's Tim's a bit of the goofy there. set of set of goofiness is a is a layer above mine. He's a, he's a <laughs> distinction graduating class in goof. Um, it's <laughs> very. Good. I think talking Joe fans come for the goofy. But are you ready to talk about some comics? Yes, indeed. We're gonna talk about comics from Devil's Due. It's something you wondered if talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh. So today we are talking Devil's Due, G.I. Joe, issues 6 to 9 from 2002. Uh, we've got a slightly different creative team uh, for, for this arc. We have got... Story and layouts, Josh Blaylock as normal. Pencils are mostly Steve Kurth that we'll remember from uh, issues one to four with assists on issue eight from Jamal Eigel. Uh, inks are John Larter with Barb Schultz, Corey Hampshire, Ray Schneider and Clayton Brown. Colors are Hi-Fi Designs. Letters are Dreamer Designs, Military 
consultant is SFC, which I assume is Szechuan Flavor Curry, uh, Brian Savage-Peterson, Edits Scott Whirl, and Graphic Design Mike Norton. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. So, big news. We've got four covers from uh, a famous returning G.I. Joe artist. It is Mike Zek coming back. What a coup would be the, my headline. Um, Tim? So much to say about Mike Zek on covers. Uh, I think it was Stephen Grant who said that Mike Zek is the best action artist in comics. Uh, they collaborated on the 80s Punisher miniseries and also um, a later miniseries for, I think it was Malibu. So um, for a lot of people, Zek is, is the quintessential G.I. Joe artist, maybe even more than a Ron Wagner or a Rod Wiggum, because his art showed up in the TV commercials. So millions of people saw it, right? Because his covers graced the book during the era of, of the the book's highest sales and also those so many of those tv commercials mm. um zach has um zach can do everything right he can draw tech he can draw different facial structures right so the the four green shirts on the cover to issue seven they all have different noses and different chins and different cheekbones it's not it, the fact that they're in the same pose wearing the same costume right they're still different from each other um zex uh his his anatomy is is you know flawless and his uh his 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 spot blacks and his inking technique is you know uh flawless um the cover to six is is you know more of a piece of design it's less of a specific scene and that's a little unusual for Zek, right? When we th- when we think mm-hmm. of Zek covers, both for GI Joe and also other series, we tend to think of like uh, someone blasting at someone else, and there's a background behind them, there's a wall, or there's some trees. Um, someone's threatening someone, someone's lunging, um, and here, you know, the pose is is uh, it's more like uh, it's more like a movie poster. Uh, Cobra Commander is pointing at us and Storm Shadow is behind us and, and you know, Storm Shadow clearly works for Cobra Commander, right? This is not some sneaking up from behind attack. Um, I'm not always a fan of hi-fi's color work. Um, this one, this one's really pretty, mm-hmm. uh, but I have something to say about Storm Shadow's costume design, which we'll, I'll get to when we get inside. <laughs> okay. um, Seven is, is a sort of uncommon G.I. Joe approach where the cover is basically all just one color. I don't mean the background. Mm. I mean everything. The entire co- cover is is a mustard yellow, right? And certainly there's a little bit more green in it where um, the cloth of Beachhead's costume is. Um, but it's basically one color, which is which is really striking. The cover to eight, um, there's so much menace. There's a quiet danger in Storm Shadow's pose and facial expression, right? With his finger on that button, uh, clicking off the phone call that hawk is making Mm -hmm. um and i i like the the urgency that the red light coming in from the right gives it but this color does not agree with the inking right um like Mm. look at the shadow uh on hawk's eyes right the light Mm. is coming from the left side but the shadow is on hawk's right eye from the brim of his hat Right. Similarly, look at Storm Shadow's gauntlet just above the phone. Right. The highlight is on the left side. 
the shadow is on the right side. And yet there's this bright red light on off camera, off panel on the right side that's illuminating them both from the right. You can have a red light there. It shouldn't be, uh, it shouldn't disagree with the inking so much, right? You could have a rim light. There could be red light there. Uh, and then the cover to nine, uh, this is one of my lesser favorite uh, Zek covers. Um, it's got all the ingredients. It just sort of doesn't quite work for me. Um, I think the coloring on Snake Eyes does some of it. Uh, um, I also think Snake Eyes' visor in perspective is a little low on his head. Um, but, you know, it's awesome to see Zek draw Snake Eyes, to draw that Uzi. Um, and even with this silly costume, it's, it's, it's great to see Zach draw Storm Shadow. Yeah, I was just thinking that that last cover, issue nine, where we've got Snake Eyes in the foreground, sort of looking up and, and um, Storm Shadow behind, it's puts me slightly in mind of that that cover, I can't remember the, the, the issue number, where Snake Eyes is sort of venturing into a uh, minefield. Um, 63. It, okay. <laughs> I, I think That's that it is cover. different. Um, but, uh, I was just, I was gonna, I was gonna have a look and see how close am I in imagining that one, that, there are that, similarities. One, that one, Snake Eyes and Scarlet are mm. full body and walking left to right. And here Snake Eyes is coming mm -hmm. straight at us and we're looking up at him. So yeah, quite yeah, different. Yeah. yeah, I can, I can, I can see, uh, similarities, but yeah, definitely a different angle there. And then, uh, he's angling his, his gun differently and yeah. It's got snake eyes is the key similarity there. <laughs> I think one interesting thing about seeing Zek here versus some of those classic covers is, is around the, the tech technique or the approach that would have been used back in the day. And that, that was that a lot of those iconic covers from, from Zek were uh, based on a sketched rough cover composition from uh, Larry Hammer. Whereas here for, for these ones for sure he's he's you know is working uh with a bit more of a car blanche of not having uh that that initial inspiration as a, a starting point to to kick him off so it's more pure zek rather than uh uh you know interpreting a a suggestion from from hammer and and i guess another thing is 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 that you sort of touched on it around some of those iconic issues from from zek in terms of the um big gi joe Mar uh, marvel action covers with you know the likes of um uh, roadblock firing a machine gun at, at, into the audience or or the punisher ones where again some quite iconic issues with uh with frank castle far firing towards or uh, the audience or slightly off screen um we have heard that there was an edict from hasbro at this time that you you can't point uh the gun or even show it firing potentially on the front cover. So, so uh, removing uh, part of uh, Zek's normal armory in terms of trying to make for uh, a dynamic action-filled scene uh, there. Let me throw my hat in the ring here and agree with basically everything that Tim said. Um, those original Marvel covers were just amazing. And I think that, um, you know, along with Larry's, stories the toys and the art those were probably a huge selling point for the book so many of those covers are just uh, iconic and still amazing to look at today um, the one that sticks out to me is the one with um, death holding the m60 on on the cover i mean 
that's so unlike any other cover in, in the series. And, you know, the, the Snake Eyes and Scarlet one that you referenced, number 63. Uh, you've got Quick Kick versus Storm Shadow, I think, on number 51. They're just an amazing run of covers. I don't want to cast an aspersion that a professional would not do their best job. Um, but so I don't want to say, you know, Mike Zek did or didn't do this. But but um, empirically, I always wonder when an artist uh, draws something that um, looks different than other things they have drawn. What are the external factors that I don't know? Did the editor right. not give them as much time? Did the editor over art direct them? You know, they like drew a sketch and then the editor said like, no, 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 do two more sketches, right? And then invariably the editor picked sort of the least interesting sketch and the artist is, <laughs> yeah. now, is now not excited about drawing the cover. Uh, again, professionals uh, do their best, but you know, sometimes uh, pay isn't as good uh, as, as another job. And then an artist's uh, heart isn't in it as much. Um, I, I don't know that any of these happened, but you know, the same way that Mark points out that um, Zek's not working from Hama sketches here, you know, anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, G.I. Joe at, at issue six, seven, eight, nine is still selling uh, really well because it's it's an, an image book and it's got this hot launch oh, right. off of issue one. But at the same time, um, did they lose some fans because those first four issues were um, bi-monthly and not monthly did they lose some fans because the first four issues aren't great did they lose some fans because issue five is uh, uh is a, a sort of a momentum uh left turn um come on now i gave that one a seven we should uh we should start talking about uh, the back covers mark have us talk about the back covers <laughs> but it could, it could have been as you say sort of it could have been a, a tactic here yeah, getting someone of the caliber of uh, zek on, on the covers could have been a way of really trying to keep that momentum of it being a, a you know a best seller um you know particularly as as some vocal people who enjoyed the original run maybe didn't enjoy uh the first few issues quite so well <clears throat> um yeah, some letter writers maybe <laughs> some uh, yeah outraged uh, letter writers and so on <laughs> so uh, could could have been um let me not to point my... any fingers so on to the back covers. We've got another four from David Michael Beck. So uh, continuing to invest in some uh, painted covers to adorn the back of this book. We've got uh, Storm Shadow on uh, six, then Beachhead, uh, the Baroness, and Flint. Um, Storm Shadow there uh, being um, obviously a, a sort of as a companion piece to the Snake Eyes from issue one and i believe that this, this was also released as a a print joined up with the uh snake eyes so that they are back to back as a single image jay what were your thoughts on on these was was there any that you liked or didn't like wow where to start I, you know I'm, i just don't know for sure i'm looking at the storm shadow one right now and i think probably the problems that i might have with this have more to do with the character design than um, Beck's artwork. Um, his pose is is pretty good. Uh, the hands are really good. I know from being an artist myself, you look at Storm Shadow's right hand, That's it's very hard to, to get an angle like that. You kind of have to use a mirror uh, or, or take a picture, uh, but it's it's really hard to get that kind of, uh, you know, angle with a hand. Um, the hand itself looks great. The other hand looks great. Um, musculature and everything is pretty good. 
Uh, and again, his uh, the textures on the swords and and all that stuff is just fabulous. The background is great. You know, like I said, I'm I'm not loving the Storm Shadow costume. I think Tim kind of hinted that he maybe is not a fan of that either. Let's see the beachhead cover from number seven. Don't you think he's got like a quite a weird turn to him? Um, just the angle of yeah, his, his body looks and a little bit unnatural. It's yeah, it looks distorted, uh, and also the lighting doesn't help that either because um, the most of the upper half of his torso is in shadow. And then you just have uh, some light basically like on his crotch area and on the, the upper thigh on his left side. And that makes it look like it's even more distorted. It, it makes it look like he's very, very thin in the waist. The head is a little bigger than it probably should be. Honestly, after looking at beachhead toys all week long, that's not uh, a problem that's solely to this uh, painting. But again, the gun looks really good. The, the background, I like the trees, the, the foliage. Looks great. Uh, his belt looks great. Uh, the Baroness on issue eight. Mm. I like the Baroness on on number eight. I have a question. Did you have you guys seen the unused one? Oh, I don't think I have. No. We'll include it in the in the video. It's basically. Let me see if I can pull it up here. The background is almost completely the same, except um, it's slightly different. And I think that the the unused one might just be a pencil sketch. Maybe this was one that he submitted, and they said. Uh, no, go back to the drawing table for that one. And I think that the reason why is her face is a little, little harsher, but probably it's more of a sexualized pose, which I don't have a problem with, but um, some people do. She's got kind of her, you know, her hip is thrust out a little bit more. She's got more of a, oh, you know, people would complain about uh, Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and those fellas putting mm. ladies in uh, unrealistic um no, that's I've just called it up now. It's it's a much more appealing image to be in, to be honest. Here she sort of looks quite flat, and I'm not talking about you know lack of right. buxomness. It's just very sort of plain, boring image, just sort of straight up and, and up and down. Uh -huh. um, the the uh, alternative cover, she's you know got much more of a sort of a, a bend to her, as, and you know yeah. sort of yeah, much more sort of interesting and a and a. So you like the unused one better. Mm, yeah, and I, and I it could well I have been do too. could well have been that Hasbro rejected that one of, of saying it was too sexy with um you know with that that pose that I know that uh, Baroness images have been rejected before for for you know being in commas too sexy. There was a famous really? one from Adam I Hughes. I can't imagine any would be rejected. I've seen some incredibly sexy ones. Before. Yeah, I think they'll let any old thing through now. Yeah, <laughs> the sexier the better is what seems to be their 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 plan for for Baroness. Yeah. But um, now back to uh, Beck's textures. Uh, if you look at the one that was used, you know I've complained about his um, his texture on on clothing and, and different things. Like I, I go back to Firefly's vest on Battle Files number two. Uh, the lighting and everything on her leather on on the used cover for number eight is really nice. I mean, he's just got some great textures there. Uh, you know, like the, the her uh, quad on her leg. I think that's what it's called. Um, you can really see like the muscular underneath the, the leather. And, and that actually, I think really works, works very well. But yeah, I just wondered if, if uh, you know, if you guys had seen the, the unused one or not. Um, let me go real quick to number nine. This one, as Mark said, is Flint. He's he's under fire, and, and yeah. when when you've got a character, a lead character under fire like that, with the the bullets literally sort of crisscrossing 
uh, almost sort of out giving them an outline it kind of makes you think uh well makes me think slightly less of um their their skills that they've got themselves into a position where <laughs> they're, they're being crisscrossed by bullets and it's purely by fluke that they're they're not being uh riddled um <laughs> i think there's some some really big proportion problems or, or perspective with this uh flint i'm sure tim's going to get into it a bit too um the gun looks pretty small his shotgun um there's kind of a strange twist to his uh his left leg but again i know from you know from being an artist myself that that's a very hard um angle to pull off i mean things like that like you know i mentioned the beachhead that i did this week um that wouldn't have looked as good if I hadn't used photo reference of someone actually crouching behind a wall and still even, even drawn from that, uh, you could look at that and, and point to problems that I had with, with proportion and perspective. Um, so I'm not going to tear into that too much. It's, it's very difficult to do that. Uh, but again, I mean, this, this figure, this painting, uh, plays a lot to Beck's strengths, his, uh, you know, the, the belts, the bullets, the guns, um, you know, whether they're in, in correct proportion or not, they look good. The surfaces look good. This is the second Flint we've seen him do. Uh, the other one was the, the paperback of the battle files. And I wasn't a huge fan of that. Part of the challenge for this Flint painting is that the, the, po I think we see the image. I see the image and I'm not clear if Flint is running backwards or if he's, sort of sitting and like crouching and like leaning against something. Right. Um, but the way that the rocks are behind him, it would have to be the former and not the latter. But, um, but I think there's, I think th sort of the way that his legs are posed, it's like, well, either he'd have to be sort of half sitting, crouching, or he's like stumbling and falling. I feel like this is one of those cases where the, the background was to some extent, invented around and behind and after the you know photo reference or the sketch of the pose and you know with baroness it's fine the you know the background she could actually be standing in front of that staircase or she could be standing in front of a flat wall with a poster printed on it of that staircase it doesn't matter in either yeah, case it could be anything but with flint it 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 needs to be a little more integrated um something that i appreciate about beck's painting of storm shadow is that um, Storm Shadow looks Japanese. Um, you know, like two out of three mm -hmm. artists who draw G.I. Joe don't or can't draw the epicanthic fold in the eyes, right? And like, this is what makes folks from Japan look different from, say, me, right? Um, and, um, and it's a subtle thing. And I, I sort of always forgive the artists who draw storm shadow you know with like caucasian white guy eyes because most of them do uh and it's hard uh, i guess i feel like you know by now we should have all gotten over that it's like if you're gonna draw if you're gonna draw gi joe you gotta get you gotta get the asian guys looking asian um but what was uh, that word you used uh epicanthic fold Okay, so you know, this is as like when I was a kid and I was reading G.I. Joe and I would go to a dictionary and pull it out and say, what does this word mean? Obviously, I know what you mean. But yeah, that's, a, that's not a term I'd ever heard before. But again, I'll just go back to an appreciation that 
Blaylock shelled out for art on the back covers, right? He could have just reused some art from the inside, which is which is free. He could have uh, sold the back cover as an ad. You know, these paintings don't always entirely float my boat, but like, when are we ever going to get a painting of Beachhead? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, we'll get like a painting of, of Cobra Commander or Snake Eyes eventually, but you know, you got to have a pretty long cover run and you have to have like particular priorities to get you know, a painting of Beachhead. Uh, and even if the painting doesn't quite work for me, um, it's still exciting. Let's get on into the insides with a plot breakdown. After being driven mad by Destro's nanites, Cobra Commander's mind has been healed thanks to the Crimson Twins, Tomax, and Zaymon. Now it is time for reckoning. Luring the top echelon of Cobra Command together again, the commander turns Storm Shadow loose upon them. After a quick thrashing by the ninja assassin, Cobra Commander warns them to never cross him again. He then tells them to prepare for an assault on Destro's castle while sending Storm Shadow to kill the leader of the G.I. Joe team, General Hawk. Later, near the eastern coast of the United States, a Joe team led by Shipwreck and Deep Six recover a suitcase nuke from Russian smugglers. What they don't know is they're taking home more with them than just the nuke, as Storm Shadow has stowed away beneath their vessel. In Transcarpathia, Cobra attacks Destro's castle. Destro convinces Cobra Commander it was not he who poisoned Commander with the Nanites, but his son, Alexander. In exchange for not killing them both, Destro agrees to give Cobra Commander the technology behind his metal mask and Lillian Osborne, also known as Armada. The Joes discover the suitcase nuke they recovered was a fake and that Storm Shadow has infiltrated their base. A chase ensues and Storm Shadow handily beats all the Joes until coming face to face with Snake Eyes. The two ninjas battle their way through the Joes facility until Storm Shadow disguises himself as a green shirt and escapes. Yeah, uh, four issues of action-packed adventure and intrigue. Um, high level, what were our, our thoughts? I think if we start on, guess, how it felt to us uh, um, as, as an arc, I guess for, for me, it felt like quite a big improvement. It seemed to flow better. There was... Uh, the art um, for these issues were were an improvement on um, on Kurth's uh, first four issues. Obviously, you know he's a a, a young a new artist and he's learning as he as he goes. There was smoother pacing. There was a nat- natural progression of plots. Um, some interesting cliffhangers at the end of issues, and and it just felt like a a much smoother, more natural evolution and 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 um, unveiling of the story rather than rather than it being forced and and lots of things coming through as exposition. I think overall it worked better. I think uh, a lot of that probably Blaylock and Kurth are starting to get more um, familiar with the characters and uh, more comfortable as storytellers. I think a big plus is that they didn't try to cram quite so much into these issues. Like you said, it was uh, everything just flowed better. As a story, as a four-issue arc, it does read a lot easier than uh, than the first four issues. You don't have, like Tim pointed out, in issue two or three. I can't think of any word balloons with, like, 67 words in them. I, I didn't mind it. I thought it was um, it was pretty good. You know, we'll, we'll get more in, into it. But, yeah, uh, yeah I think it, it, it worked a lot better than, uh, than the first one. The art was definitely uh, better, I think, again... The same way that, that Playlock is not trying to do as much with the story and the script, it's obvious that Kurth is realizing that he doesn't need to do as much with his art. It's better mm-hmm. 
to pull back a little bit. So that works a lot better. Tim, what was your helicopter view over over these four issues? Familiar for uh, established G.I. Joe fans, uh, accessible for newer fans, writing the ship after the first arc from the first four issues. A great density, lots of characters, mm. lots of action, lots of snappy dialogue, lots of character action choreography, people moving in space, people moving mm-hmm. down a hallway, people boarding a boat, people on a snowmobile uh, moving. So great bang for your buck. And except for, whereas in the first arc, it was sort of every character and sort of then no one was interesting. Mm. Uh, in this one, I felt like it was a, a proper balance of, you know, it's G.I. Joe, there are 500 characters. We want to see a bunch of them. And if we're going to cut between like a water mission and a snow mission and headquarters, we might see like water guys and snow guys and regular guys. So um, busy and dense, but not too crowded. And mm-hmm. uh, lots of good action, you know, two or three little like missteps in, in characterization or dialogue. Um, and then some of my normal complaints for uh, color and lettering, but I think these are greatly helped by the Mike Zek covers. And I think it's at issue nine where I, it's after issue nine that I stopped reading this series originally. And I suspect that if Zek hadn't done the covers, I might not have made it through this arc. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling, uh, you know, on this reread, and I haven't read it since 2002, um, you know, rereading it yesterday and this morning, there's a lot to like. I'm not, I'm not grumpy. there was there was a lot of action here and a lot of i guess in in those storm shadow sequences and they did do a good job of i guess telling that in a very clear way where all the characters are how they're interacting and and keeping it you know keeping it bouncing along and keeping it interesting with uh without it you know it either becoming very samey or or confusing it's a good fight choreography, which um, isn't necessarily a particularly easy thing to do in comics. Yeah, I got to agree with Tim. I think that uh, the the movement of the characters um, really is. I have to I have to credit Blaylock a lot for that. You know, that was one of the things that I liked about Number Five was uh, once they got into the chase, once Duke and, and Major Blood got into the chase, there was a lot of action, and there were some spots that were a little unclear, uh, you know, with the jet skis and stuff, but. It moved. I thought that it moved really well, and that was one of the reasons I gave it such a high mark. And this arc, especially when you've got all the Joes chasing Storm Shadow through through the building they're in, and we'll kind of get to that. Um, that that all works really well as far as like, okay, here's a couple panels. You know, these guys come into the room. There's Storm Shadow right in front of us. Wham! Storm Shadow goes above us and just you know behind from behind he takes him out. And you know, number one, that shows you what a badass Storm Shadow is. But also, I have to give Blaylock a lot of kudos for that, to write that kind of sequence, and then also the artist for uh, for being able to pull that off the way that they did. A lot better, uh, you know, than, than say, the, the big massive battle that we saw in, in issue four, which I in particular criticized for, um, you know, not ever pulling back and showing you the bigger picture in those in those scenes. Now, Tim, you mentioned that you hadn't, uh, that this was about where you dropped off, and I wanted to ask you, did you enjoy it more now 
And do you think that if you were, um, if you weren't doing Talking Joe and you were just had decided, oh, maybe I'll reread these uh, on your own, do you think that you would keep it up based on the strength of this, this arc or not? Um, to answer that second question, no. If I were, <laughs> if I was rereading this without Talking Joe, I, I wouldn't reread it. I'd flip through it and probably a little unfairly revert to my opinion from 2002 that this was not up to snuff. But, um, you know, sharing a room with two other people, uh, right. tr- trying to find uh, the good in this. Also, uh, this, this, this line sounds like a joke and an exaggeration, but it's also true. This can't hurt me anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like... It's I, like I got you. It's like the Ang Lee Hulk movie from 2003. At the time, that was a major disappointment. But since then, we've gotten other Hulk movies. And And other disappointments. And also, you know, it's like you read some behind the scenes and you think, well, I wouldn't have made that decision. Or, well, these were the limitations that were given. So there have been so many G.I. Joe comics since then, good and bad. And uh, I'm more forgiving's too strong. But, uh, you know, Blaylock and his team... I feel like this. I feel like this is too easy. Like they, they were doing the best they could do. It's like, well, sometimes your best isn't good enough. But at the same time, you know, like these are capable and these are exciting. At the time, it just didn't feel right. I think the things that weren't working were sort of like very bright, blinking lights, yeah, blinding me. Whereas now, the things that aren't working, I think, like, well, you know, maybe in five issues, those will have taken care of themselves. And gosh, look at those Mike Zek covers. Or uh, the things that Blaylock and Kurth were doing right that I just couldn't see. I was, and I was still so disappointed that Larry Hama wasn't writing this book. And I, I think that I was going to just hold on to that grudge um, indefinitely. What about you, Mark? Do you like it? Are you enjoying it? more on the reread because like i've said before this is the first time i've ever read these so i'm coming at this uh new you know my perspective is uh every time i turn the page it's the first time i've seen it and so i'm curious how you feel uh, i assume that you read it in 2002 when it first came out like tim did yeah so my experience of it now is similar i think in in terms of uh how i was experiencing it at the time i I was reading it monthly and I was enjoying it, but I did have a sense of frustration, particularly in the early issues about um, the pacing that they weren't getting uh, that, that quite right. And, and a recognition that when they moved into this arc, that that was a big turning point in terms of having a little bit more uh, room to, to breathe and that just not everything just feeling like it's crammed into too smaller, smaller space. You know, it has been, almost 20 years since I read it. So, so I have forgotten an awful lot of it. And it is, it is almost like reading it for the, for the first time with a, you know, faint recognition, <laughs> remembrance in, in the, in, in the back of my, my mind. So um, yeah, I did enjoy it and I'm looking forward to, to continue to read and seeing how it, pro- how it progresses. But um, good. I think, I think it is a different reading experience though, as, as well, sort of reading it, you know, in chunks and reading it in a more dense way in terms of, you know, reading, uh, reading a few issues a week kind of thing versus one coming out uh, every month. And and there's much more of a frustration that, that's possible when it's coming out monthly and you're not enjoying it because that is right. that is the Joe book for the month. And that is the, the opportunity to have something that you enjoy. And if, if you, you know, if you're looking back and you think, yeah, you know, probably it'll improve in, you know, six issues, whatever, 
as you're reading it in real time, that's that's half a year, you know. <laughs> it's a long time to wait for the next good issue. So I, I can I can see there there being a different dynamic there uh, between reading it in real time and being frustrated versus looking back on it and knowing that yep, it's fine. I'll I'll pass the time on on this, and then there'll be the there'll be the next issue that will come along, and maybe that one will be better. Let's talk about that Storm Shadow costume. Let's do it. Armani, Prada, Versace too. Joe's changed their outfits from black to blue. Duke and Hawk, look, but don't gawk. Changing their kit. Whoa, was that legit? Swapping camo jackets, headgear and boots. It's now neon colours and funky space suits. A sci-fi stalker and even roadblocks. While Bill, Flint and Muck gave me a shot. So go take a walk if clothes aren't your passion. Because it's comic book talk and lovely G.I. Joe fashion. Okay, I can do this in a sentence. Shoulder pads, shoulder pads are stupid on a ninja. <laughs> and... And unnecessary on a lot of characters, Cobra Commander. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, how how many Cobra symbols does Storm Shadow need on his costume? At least six, right? Like, six. like okay, one on his, one on his belt too. One on his chest, like okay. One on his head, it's like well, that seems a little redundant. Um, <laughs> Uh, the thing about Cobra Commander, where that works, is that the one on his head and his chest are different sizes. So they sort of, in terms of design, they do different things. But these two stupid knee pads <laughs> on Storm Shadow are so stupid. Like, and you know, you can counter, right? Like, well, Tim, like, like Cobra is flamboyant. Destro is this 70s Bond villain. He's got an open shirt jacket with this giant collar thing oh, I'd love and to see Destro in a James and, Bond film. And Dr. Mindbender just walks around with no shirt and a giant cape and like And cut piece. Yes. <laughs> and and like, you know, Tomax and Zamot are like circus performers. Yeah, like they're like they acrobats. Are. And we don't see it anymore. You know, it's like when someone makes that joke that like some of the like G.I. Joe characters look like the village people, you know, because of uh, <laughs> shipwreck. Like Go I just, I just frown. It's like, no, you don't understand. And it's like, no, no, Tim, you don't understand. The rest of the world looks at these guys and sees such a variety that it's like a little silly and and distracting. And like, I think the villains should be flamboyant. You know, like Serpentor. Like, what an amazing design! All these yeah. this snake motif. As a kid, it's like, is he a snake man or is he wearing snake clothes? Um, but the 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 elegance of the simplicity of the 82 and 83 and 84 lineup, right? Like you cannot do better than the original Ron Rudat uh, Storm Shadow uh, design. And um, and you can't do much better than the first three Snake Eyes designs. And, yeah. um, you know, it's like once Storm Shadow has these like ribbing on his knees, sort of un- in the mouth of the Cobra and like the ribbing on his... Um, on the underside of his gauntlets, I'm looking at the cover to six and the cover to nine. Um, it's like at a certain point, it's like you know Batman gauntlets for punching. It's armor, <laughs> but like no, he's a ninja. Like he doesn't he doesn't need armor because he's not going to get shot. He's a martial artist. He can take you down just wearing a cotton shirt jacket and cotton pants. And so like once he's wearing like boots with all these straps. Um, it's too much and it's over-designed. Uh, those those and, knee those knee pads should come in handy though for all of that scrambling around in the air ducts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and something something that you mentioned, uh, Tim. How many uh, cobras does he need on his outfits? You see this a lot too on 
on the Baroness's uh, outfit. Now, I'm looking at the classified figure of the Baroness right now, and she's got this is not too much. I don't feel like she's got a cobra signal on her belt buckle. She's got a cobra on her chest, and then she's got little cobras on each of her gauntlets. And that's it. But I've seen drawings of Baroness before where she's got huge cobras on each gauntlet. She's got a gauntlet on her chest. She's got gauntlets on her belt. She's got uh, cobras on her knee pads like Storm Shadow does here. And uh, yeah, it, when you start throwing those on there too much, you're just like, okay, we get it. That's your team. <laughs> you know, we don't need, uh, you know, Chicago Bears don't have, I don't know what it is, the C on every every surface that's capable of putting one on there. Yeah, it's the Baroness is the, is the same on the, on the back cover. I can I can see she's got one on her front, one on uh, one on her, the you know, on her. Does she have one on her hands? Let me go back to it. Yeah, the one on her hand, on but the this, back of her hands, on this her belt, kind of big silver ones on her knees as well. This kind of over design, you know, this is. Yeah, I see that. You know, some of this is because uh, toy sculpting can carry more detail in 2002, 2003 than it could in 82 and 86. Some of it is that um, this is just sort of the flavor of the country, right? Like um, when, when I was well, a kid. At that time it was. Knee pad uh, flavor. Well, I mean, we're, I, we see it. Knee we see it in a we see it in a lot of eras and in a lot of media, right? So when, you know, the, in the Marvel movies, you know, it's like the Marvel, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to cast oh, an yeah. aspersion here and use a strong word. It's as if the concept designers and costume designers for the Marvel movies are scared of leaving a few inches of cloth or material mm-hmm. <laughs> um, blank or empty, right? Like think of Captain America's movie costume. Like, He's got these little oh. like gaps between yep. where the star on his chest meets the blue and then the red and white stripes along his six pack. It's like they can't just be vertical stripes like the flag. They have to be these like weird segmented things and then all these like stitching. It's like, well, they're sort of like the like he's wearing sort of a jacket, right? But it's it's as if it's made out of armor plating because yep. there's like a seam and a stitch and a seam and a stitch and a seam and a stitch. And um you know, like like the original Fantastic Four costumes in the comics in 1961. Simple, uh, perfect. Like they're just wearing blue shirts and blue pants, and one of them doesn't burn when it's on fire, and one of them can stretch. And so there is some science and like magic uh, to it. But, um, you know, like uh, j- just because you can doesn't mean you should. And and design is its own category that's completely different from from like writing or drawing like visual storytelling but design gets pulled into comics and um yeah so some of these costumes have too much going on it almost feels like the designers are getting paid by the line (laughs) i wonder how much of a debt um cobra commander and storm shadows um uh shoulder pads owe to um, rob liefeld and and cable (laughs) it is Um, an image book the 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 it's one of the striking things about Storm Shadow in particular is is that it's actually not a toy design. This one, it's um, at least I don't think it was informed by anything that Hasbro was doing. There were some similar looks, but but not quite the same as as this. There was a a twelve inch version of Storm Shadow that had some similar design elements, but I don't think that there's ever been a toy quite capturing this particular uh, look. So so I think this was comics originated. I'll say something 
nice or neutral. Clutch shows up in this run. And I, I noticed this when we were looking through Battle Files in a previous episode. The Clutch costume, to me, recalls his Mega Marines outfit. Because he's got this cap and he's got uh-huh. no facial hair and he's Mega Marines, it's armor and it's bright neon orange. Mm, and in yeah. Devil's Do Run, it's sort of a beige mustard. But if you squinted, and this might just be coincidence, right? So maybe it's like, how do we get someone who's not in green? Because Gung Ho's green, and Flint's got some green, and Beachhead's green. Uh, and, you know, the original clutch has has tan. But uh, I can't help but see, I think inadvertently, uh, a, a simplification of the Mega Marines clutch in this Devil's Do clutch. Yeah, it it would it makes sense from a sort of like a character's perspective that that Clutch would have that kind of um, loose cap, um, you know, hanging around the motor pool, working on um, racing cars, that kind of thing. It seems it seems logical, and it's sort of a continuation almost through that that tan tan look. Um, I <laughs> I don't I I think I think the Mega Marines thing you know might might be there, but but probably mostly uh, mostly in your head. <laughs> You know what I like about this clutch? Two words. Oh, his his cyber mutton chops. <laughs> He's complimented on them as well. <laughs> they went nice chops or whatever. Yeah. Um, and another new look that I noticed in these issues was for wetsuits, which, uh, unlike uh, a couple of the ones we've mentioned, is specific to a toy. So this was based on the new wetsuit figure that was being released and using the Hasbro design and. It would make sense that it's kind of external to the book because it does look a bit awkward and out of place. It's a bit crazy looking. He's got kind of these piston pistons on his elbows and, and quite bright um, sort of colours. Not really a look that I'm particularly fond of and I, I would imagine not probably a look that they would have landed on independently to that, that figure. Don't forget, Wetsuit is a Navy SEAL. When he shows up in issue seven... Uh, I have I have two problems with this page. Pick up the nitpicker, Timmy Finn. Analytical prankster, Timmy Finn. Picking holes in your colouring, Timmy Finn. Still love you, Joe, Timmy Finn. No, no, he won't lie. Yes, he testified. Anyone can see there's some criticism. Anything that he don't know Ain't a thing that's worth to know Pull him back and let him go Criticism Here come the nitpicker Timmy Finn Analytical prankster Timmy Finn Picking holes in your colouring Timmy Finn Still love your joke Timmy Finn I have I have two problems with this page One I thought it was Deep Six because it's such a big clunky yeah. costume, and two sploosh. No. Yeah, I pre- <laughs> I appreciate that Kurth is hand lettering when he's penciling. I think I think pencilers can and should do that. I I think he overdoes it. I think his some of his hand lettering when he's doing sound effects for like kicks and machine guns and things bumping into walls in this whole arc. Uh, I think they're um, a little too like big. 
and then they get cropped behind someone and then there's a word balloon. I don't mind that they're like bright yellow because it's like, no, this is a comic book. Comic books can have sound effects and like that's just part of the visual language of comics. Uh, my problem here with Sploosh is that we read the first panel on the top left. We read the second panel where he pushes someone overboard. And then I think we're supposed to go down and read Sploosh as the third panel. But comics are uh, left to right, top to bottom. And so I read this like one, two, four, three, where his his line happens first. That's right, Snakes. Wetsuit is back in action. And then like 30 seconds later, when he's finished this talking to himself dialogue, the guy actually hits the water. Uh, sploosh and um but it's a tall ship <laughs> <laughs> but uh but blaylock gets uh, uh i agree with uh with jay from an earlier point blaylock gets a lot of credit for um for clear storytelling with his layouts um, good visual action cramming a lot these pages have uh many of them have 9 10 11 12 panels but uh the sploosh doesn't quite work <laughs> You yeah, mentioned so the number of panels. It it really doesn't uh, it doesn't stand out as bad in this in this arc as it did in, in Reinstated. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you just said, his storytelling's gotten better, and I think probably his layouts and, and Kurth's work has. Because I didn't realize, didn't even think about until you said it just now that many of these pages have ten or twelve panels. The the um, the too much story, too much dialogue or narration, um, too many panels per page. It didn't become a problem until the second to last page of the entire arc where uh, there is too much story and character wrap up like there's actually two pages worth of material crammed into the second to last page right which is like the epilogue of the main story and then the final page is is a tease for the next story Um, there's also i forget if i think it's in part two or part three there's a bit where um the, uh, they're fighting uh, Storm Shadow in a hallway and like the blast doors start to close and it's the tiniest panel where the doors start to close and Storm Sh- someone's like, the doors are closing and, and then there are three great panels of Storm Shadow jumping through the doors and not getting sealed off. But this that first panel of him realizing it's happening, that dialogue, when someone needs to say what's happening aloud because you can't tell from reading it, then then you either haven't given yourself enough space to draw it or uh, you haven't drawn it well. So there, there are two small missteps here for me in terms of the visual storytelling, but overall quite successful. I thought that one of the missteps for me was probably just the, the flashback to the wetsuit sequence. It just seemed a bit of an unnecessary flashback. Um, and, and in terms of the way they framed it, it it didn't have a clear end point either in terms of it moves from that um, wetsuit um, scene, which is a flashback to then the beachhead scene uh, where he's training some, some of the green shirts, which also seems to be a, a, a flashback and then back into the, the plot, which is in the, in the present day. And it, it, um, it, it, it didn't have anything that kind of indicated that some where, where we were in terms of the, the, the timing, but um, I, I guess it wasn't, wasn't bad enough that it caused any degree of confusion so uh, relatively trivial stuff any other call outs for for our talking points number seven we've got another scene with you know new joes that are you know in the gym at wright patterson and they're you know kind of fooling around pt and then you know beachhead comes in and 
basically is like, all right, idiots, daddy's home. I don't know. I, I wonder how many of these we're going to get. They haven't done enough with any of the new characters, uh, like we said before, to make you care about them. So, I mean, they could do 100 scenes like this and it wouldn't matter as long as none of these guys mean anything. And every scene that they're in like this, it's just the same thing. Two guys facing off each other. Oh, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Why? You know, prove it. Prove it in the field. Show us what you can do when you're, you know, scaling a mountain or in a ship, like at the beginning of this issue. You know, somebody mm-hmm. could have stood out there. Part of, part of the challenge is with these green shirt scenes is that they're all wearing the same costume. Or if mm-hmm. they're if they're playing basketball, they're all wearing like the same white tank tops and like green pants. So like none of them is differentiating themselves and they don't have cool code names. They just have their last names. And if in the first arc, one of them had distinguished themselves and then like become uh, a Joe and like gotten a costume and a, a code name, you know, for issue six, I mean, that, that, that'd be too much. It's too much going on. But um, yes, I'm still waiting for one of one of them to differentiate themselves. Mark, you were going to say. I was just going to say t- um, that Jay touched on the fact that they were in this new base. So they do make a little bit of a, a point of, of uh, being in this new base with the, the sort of the, the location that's accessible by sea, um, being a, a decommissioned uh, naval base. And yeah, we're seeing the Joes in a, in a new context outside of, uh, out, outside of the pit, having a, having their own, um, I guess, living quarters as well, which are a bit fancier uh, now, um, and uh, and some shenanigans with the with the jugglers as well as he's trying to um, allow for for the to, to get the Joe, the Joe budget that that he wants, and um, being given a storytelling constraint, which is that uh, he isn't doesn't have an unlimited supply of Joes that uh, he's got his core team um, available with uh, maybe some specialists on call, but uh, but not not the the huge team. Um, with everyone coming back that maybe was initially hinted at. The Joes are actually in two separate locations. Uh, and this is something that I kind of had to double check when I was doing the plot breakdown. Uh, Beachhead and several of the other characters are initially in um, Wright-Patterson, which is in Dayton, Ohio. And and this might be a continuity error now that I think about it. And uh, because Hawk and those characters, uh, Deep Six and, and Shipwreck, um, they are in a decommissioned naval base in Philadelphia, I think it said. Yeah, and like I said, that may have been a mistake now that I think about it because isn't Beachhead in that scene at the end where uh, everybody's getting beat down by Storm Shadow? Yeah, yes. And he shouldn't be because he should be in Dayton, Ohio. Hmm. Is there time for, for him to get from one to the other? Is that sort of between the issues? Maybe. He could be. No prize anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Mark, come up with something. <laughs> so I've got an idea as to what's actually happening with Beachhead's location. There's actually a sequence where Hawk is arriving at the Philadelphia Naval Base. And uh, alongside him is Kamakura, Flint and Beachhead, who appear to be arriving at the same time. And Beachhead says, huh, I had no idea that Philadelphia Naval Base was still active in this area. Um so he's My effectively arriving for the first time at this new loca- new location. And when we saw him before, I think it was a continuation on of the uh, wetsuit flashback. Um, so so when he was at the other location, it was a little bit uh, 
earlier in terms of uh, the the timing of it. So he would have had time enough to get across, uh, meet up with Hawk and get to the new location. There we go. Job done. Good job, Uh, Mark. Mark. (laughs) Thank you. I feel like I should have caught that. Uh, I want to. Can I point? Can I point out two character bits that that didn't work for me? Okay, go. On. Yeah. Uh, in issue six, the first chapter of the story, uh, Scarlet and Snake Eyes return to her home in Georgia, Georgia. where her brothers are, um, and she's going to sort of reintroduce Snake Eyes to her family uh, now that they're engaged again. And she says, "You're not exactly on my brother's list of favorite people ever since the breakup." Right? That's fine. Turn the page. Uh, she says. God, look at me, a tough-as-nails member of the world's best task force, and, but get me around family and I'm a little girl again. Uh, I, I understand that when you're, when you're visiting your family, you can sort of revert. Certainly you can be nervous if you're bringing your uh, non-speaking, like, deadly ninja boyfriend back to your family after he jilted you. But this just sort of reminds me of this bit in Reinstated where... Scarlet smacks someone and Baroness smacks someone and it's only the women who are smacking men that they're angry at and I feel like this is a little bit too much of a character being um, uh, vulnerable but she's a woman and like there's no scene with any of the men like we see Stalker with his family and we see Flint and Lady J, I think, are together now in this seven years later. And there's none of the guys are like nervous about, you know, their sort of life after. So that's one. And then the other is later in the arc when there's this face off in the Joe base and Storm Shadow gets away. He takes two green shirts hostage for a moment and he backs up into an elevator uh, and he slashes his sword against Snake Eyes's head and it uh, nicks his face and cuts his visor a little bit and then some great sound effects um spatash ding and bracka 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 but so there's a so kamakura uh gets pushed out of the way and uh, snake eyes is sort of stunned for a moment because uh he's been bested and elevator door closes and storm shadow gets away and kamakura says master your face are you okay? And there's three silent panels as we zoom in, uh, sort of past uh, Snake Eyes' now transparent visor to see his eye, or maybe it's a reflection. I can't tell. And then there's a big panel on the next page where Snake Eyes thrusts his arm out and with his Uzi and fires right at the closed elevator door that's like three feet in front of him. Bracka, 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 bracka. Master, no, snap out of it, Snake Eyes. That's an order. You might hit our men. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Snake Eyes always keeps his cool. This should not happen. You kind of lost it for a minute. Like this, this is this is that kind of thing where like you write out this idea, like oh man, Snake Eyes is gonna get embarrassed by Storm Shadow in front of his uh, his his apprentice or the other Joes, or he's gonna he's gonna be defeated by Storm Shadow and not be able to keep him from uh, escaping, or he's gonna get um, slashed in the face and that's gonna bring back all sorts of uh, memories like no what snake eyes does is they're like snake eyes are you okay snake eyes has already dropped his stuff and like jumped up an air conditioning shaft and is going after storm shadow he doesn't like have a rage moment that's not snake eyes you know what i thought when this happened was that that wasn't snake eyes i thought that that was billy 
Because like you said, Snake Eyes was in Georgia with Scarlet the last time we saw him. And then, you know, Storm Shadow's kicking everybody's ass in this Joe base. And he comes around the corner and there's Snake Eyes. And I'm like, Snake Eyes isn't there. And then I thought, oh, I'll bet you that's Billy. Because we had just seen Billy in like one of the earlier parts in the story talking to Flint. And then when this specific scene happens and Snake Eyes loses it, I thought, just like you, I'm like, that's Snake Eyes isn't going to do that. But I could see Billy losing it, especially after they're talking in the reinstated arc and Flint is kind of alluding to Billy possibly having emotional issues, which he would. Yeah, I, I totally thought this was Billy. And, and clear up until the end, I kept waiting for the reveal when they were going to say that this was Billy in the Snake Eyes outfit. That's a good point. That's a good point. But instead they say, like, no, Snake Eyes got here really fast because... Yeah. <laughs> which which is also a Snake Eyes thing to do. It's like you, you do have that reveal where it's like, um, it's like, oh, we're, we're stuck. It's like, well, Snake Eyes is here. Like, I thought he was in Antarctica. Like, no, 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 no. Off panel two issues ago. He started coming back. <laughs> yeah. And the, I guess the, the twist, the plot twist is that nobody told Snake Eyes to come back. So it, it could only have been Storm Shadow that gave him the tip off. So, hmm. Is, is that, that what, what they're is what that they're what it was? I, yeah. I had a hard time figuring out what the illusion was. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I didn't get it either. I thought maybe I thought that I, I, I will I will I will admit I read the second half of the final issue a little faster, but I thought yeah, maybe it was something second, like second. It's that second to last uh, page that uh, they say that it's a good thing you contacted Snake Eyes. That's that's just it. I didn't. Then who who else knew details of the mission? Yada yada yada, and then it um, just flicks to uh, to to um, Storm Shadow, sort of, and his, specifically his tattoo. Who else called him? Who else knew Storm Shadow would be on the brace? You didn't even know that. I'm looking into it, but so far I haven't got a clue. And uh, the Arashikage hexagram is the panel, you know, hinting, you know, connection. It's him. Whoever it was, yeah. I'm glad he did. Um, yeah, it seemed it seemed pretty clear that that's what they are so i appreciate you clearing that up for me and i would like to think if i wasn't slightly rushing through the second half of this final issue i could have gotten it where i think i because i didn't the reason i think i didn't quite get it is that this is that page where there's too much happening Mm, one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen panels on a page Mm. which is amazing but in this case it's too much the first half is about hawk talking to i think duke and then it sort of flashes to scarlet and snake eyes and it's really hard to tell i think it's like back in georgia and her brother and there's this panel in the middle of the page where I think it's her brother, but it's really hard to tell, reaches out his hand, um, and then to someone, it's hard to tell, and then two <laughs> hands are shaking. But but if if that, if that ladder, ladder, ladder panel of the two hands shaking is a moment later, uh, the camera has broken, to use a film term, the 180-degree rule, because the brother's on the left, the Snake Eyes is on the right, and then in the next panel... Snake Eyes' hand is shaking from the left and the brother's hand is shaking uh-huh. from the right. And I think that's because like, there needs to be this visual rhyming so that two panels later, when we see another arm with the tattoo on it, and I guess it's Storm Shadows, it's the same composition, it's the same yeah. framing on a different arm. But then as we pull back from uh, Storm Shadow, it's, it's Storm Shadow and he's like practicing his sword in front of a giant Cobra banner 
I like I don't know where he is or what he's doing or why he's there. But as the, the final panel is him like continuing to practice his sword, but it looks like he's under armed guard from a viper or a neo viper, uh, a cobra soldier. And I think that's just sort of to like create some visual interest. It's like, well, mm. we're in Cobra headquarters. There's a giant banner. Uh, there's some Cobra guys around. But it's like, wait, is is he in trouble with Cobra Commander? And he's like a prisoner, or do they not trust him because he's been zapped by the brainwave scanner at the end of the previous run? This there's just way too much happening on this page, and and I couldn't follow it, and so I that I got confused. Okay, I think like you said. You, because there is so much on there and, and the panels are so small and they're trying to cram so much in in that one page in a way it almost does make you want to try to rush to get to the end i mean it's like getting through something that's unpleasant you know as quickly as you can all the rest of the the book has been good up until this point and then you 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 called it dead on earlier the second to the last page just has too much stuff on it and you get to that page and you're like all right let me get through this so yeah, I missed it too. Completely missed it. Now that I see it, it's obvious. What this needs is the previous page is a big, exciting splash of Storm Shadow getting away on a Joe motorcycle. That 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 original artwork would sell for more money than a page with, you know, twelve panels or six panels of like shoulders and heads and hands and people mm-hmm. talking. So the previous page needs to have a half splash of Storm Shadow getting away. And then the Duke-Hawk conversation starts on the bottom half of the previous page. And then as we flash to Georgia and this family reunion picks up again, and then we cut over to Cobra Base and Storm Shadow's doing his sword thing, that has just more space, more like taller and wider panels so that I can just see what's going on. Okay. Should we talk for a minute about Jamal Eigel? So, yeah, it was in issue eight, wasn't it, that there uh, there was some art assist from Jamal uh, Eigel. And um, it, I think it was done quite effectively because neither me or Jay actually noticed the change in artist until you actually reminded us that, that he also had the uh, the art creds for that, that issue. What were your thoughts on uh, him joining in on the, the issue? Kurth draws the first four pages, five pages, and then Eigel picks up uh, the scene with uh, Tripwire, uh, showing up in the to pick up the suitcase nuke, uh, he draws. That's two pages. He draws uh, the next scene where, uh, just as you referred to, Hawk and the three other Joes arrive uh, in Philly. Sorry, he does that one page. Then it's back to Kurth. Eigel does the page which starts uh, in the Arctic. Um, he does all three pages of the Arctic scene, and then the next uh, three pages. Uh, Hawk talking. Um, look, at the, look at the acting the page on it's on a right side uh, halfway through the book where uh, shipwreck has his arms out and he's saying that's just great snake eyes sure picked a great time to leave um, look at the three panels above there's a silent panel of two green shirts uh, turning with their ears towards a closed door to try and hear the briefing that's happening in hawk's office the third panel is nice and there's a Metal Gear, Gear Solid exclam- exclamation mark above them because they've heard a noise. Ring! Um, <laughs> you know? Kurth's faces are wider. His eyes are set further apart because he's doing this Brian Hitch thing. Eigel's, his influence is coming from somewhere else. Uh, look at the, look at the, on the, on the next page, right? When, when Shipwreck uh, has his, his, index finger and his thumb up at his chin and he's turning so what we're supposed to just go out there and look for a ninja to shoot look at that great expression 
Um, so they and they they uh, they split the, so they split the rest of the issue. Um, uh, you know that, that final splash page is is Kurth, the final, but this, I think the second to last page is Eigel. You know, so Jamal Eigel, he's he's best known uh, in the last 20, 30 years in comics. He's he he had a run on Supergirl, and he had a run on Firestorm, both at DC. Um, he's bounced around on a lot of fill-in issues, uh, like specials or or one shots. Um, more recently. Uh, he's he's drawn a creator-owned book called uh, Molly Danger. He he's an artist who he's someone who's been a, done a lot of stuff at DC and a, a little bit of Marvel, I guess. Yeah, a little bit of Marvel. Um, I've always wanted him to do a full issue or arc on GI Joe, but sort of the regular GI Joe, right? A, a Larry Hama GI Joe. I feel like his work is in that perfect sweet spot of. Um, there's just a little bit of, of, of animation in his faces and his expressions. His poses are uh, energetic. Um, he's not exaggerating anything sort of to ill effect, but he can do, you know, costumes and tech. His storytelling's great. He just draws really well. And oh, and, and then most recently, uh, he did a miniseries for uh, Black Mask Studios uh, in the uh, Black AF world i think when it was originally just called black before they retitled it uh, that's about um a world where uh superheroes are only african americans uh in in america so he and he's going to come back for issue uh 10 right yeah that... gets a whole issue yeah his his work is great i i feel like when he's done superhero stuff there's a little bit of exaggeration and a little bit of flair uh that i don't see and i think as much superhero material as he's done, I actually think when his work is a little bit grounded, right? Like he did a, an Iron Fist and Wolverine miniseries uh, right around this time, I think just before uh, this Devil's Do work. I think his stuff is a little better suited to sort of street level, ground level. Yeah, I'm really glad that you guys pointed out that, that he uh, filled in on, on this. And just let me make a comment about his art. And I, there's a couple panels I wanna point out in particular. He does, and I hadn't noticed this when I was reading it, but his figure work is very good, and his his movement of figures a lot it makes me think of uh, when I first discovered Duncan Fagrido's artwork was in a book called um, The Face. It was a, a Vertigo book written by Peter Milligan, and there was one panel in that book that just stopped me dead in my tracks, and I because it looked so natural. It was a there was a, a girl in a library and she was bent over looking at looking on, on one of the shelves and you were kind of seeing it not exactly from a worm's eye or bird's eye view but she had her hair pulled back and it just was like a completely natural pose and i thought wow that that's really hard to do something like that and i see igo does things like that too if you go to page um but where they first get to the base in philadelphia the bottom panel on the left uh the left bottom panel on where you have shipwreck and deep, I guess it's wetsuit, are walking away from the shark. Check out wetsuit's pose. I mean, that's perfect. The perspective is is perfect, and it's just so natural. I mean, you don't even. It's one of those things that's that's like lettering. When we talked about it, when it's bad, it stands out. When it's good, you're not even supposed to notice it. And that's the way that his figure work is right there. That's a really hard uh, pose to get. And then 
just um, you know movement like uh, on the next page where Clutch is crouching down. He's looking at something. He's got his arms in front of him. And in the very next panel, you see Clutch uh, from below, a, a worm's eye perspective. And that shot right there where you're looking up at someone's face is incredibly difficult to do as an artist. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'd like to see much more of, of Eigel's work on this and, uh, you know, definitely probably try to, to try to track some more stuff down that he's done. This is really the only thing that I've ever seen that he, that he's worked on. Great. Shall we move on to the little Easter eggs that we spot in I Spy? I Spy with my little eye. The only thing that I really would point out for I Spy, which is not, you know, a G.I. Joe I Spy necessarily, is in issue six when uh, they're helping Stalker move into his house and they get some of the stuff, they get some furniture moved in. Stalker throws can or throws Roadblock a can of something that looks suspiciously like a can of Budweiser, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when Roadblock says something like, "Oh, I wonder if they'll have Yojo Cola." And I'm like, "You just caught a Budweiser. I don't think that you're going to be interested in Yojo Cola." But I think this is probably <laughs> the first time that we've seen, you know, like like the throwing up on your aunt at a at a party <laughs> line from the first, you know, from the reinstated arc. This is probably the first appearance of an alcoholic beverage. Well, no, maybe not. I guess. Baroness was drinking champagne all through that arc too. Mm-hmm. No, red wi- red wine out of a champagne flute. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that we we didn't see much of before. Doesn't uh, presumably isn't isn't someone's drinking alcohol in that? Oh, in that Mike Zek story in uh, yearbook three or yearbook four. My what is it? My dinner with Serpentor. Uh-huh. Surely someone's drinking alcohol there. Oh, Serpentor I- is not going to drink like. Yeah. Uh, grape, grape. Although, wait, no, I haven't. Uh, aren't the Dreadnoughts serving dinner? So it probably is grape soda. Never mind. <laughs> I think he might. It might. You might be right there. <laughs> I just dug out the yearbook, uh, and the Dreadnoughts are indeed serving up uh, chocolate-covered donuts and grapes, grape soda. And uh, Doctor Mindbender declares at the time, chocolate-covered donuts and grape soda. This is an imperial feast. You dare serve this garbage to Serpentors? <laughs> Where are the chefs and kitchen vipers? I'll have them filleted and garnished. <laughs> kitchen vipers. Oh, lovely stuff. Something I noticed uh, here was in issue six, we had an advert for the Transformers. It says, see the Transformers, new series from Dreamwave Productions, um, with a logo down in the bottom for Hasbro, Hasbro Consumer Products. Copyright 2002 Hasbro. So this looks, this is strange. It looks like it's a Hasbro commissioned advert, potentially for the Dreamwave Productions comic of Transformers, but drawn by, uh, I believe, Steve Girth. Yeah, um, his signature is is next to Roadblock's mouth. Yeah, that, that sort of stylized triangle. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, drawn by Steve Girth um, with G.I. Joe characters uh, but um but advertising a uh, i guess a rival's uh, rival's book and this is before the uh, before the um transformers versus gi joe mini series that that came out not too too long afterwards i i assumed at the time uh one uh this was that drawing when we talked about the first arc and I was saying Kurth wasn't good enough, but there was one drawing where yeah. he was getting better. This was the drawing yeah. to which I was referring. And looking very Brian Hitch there in, uh, in places, particularly in Roblox yeah. expression. Um, at the time, I don't know, uh, had, had a crossover already been 
teased. I mean, it hadn't been announced, but at the time I thought like, okay, you've got these two different publishers, these two different studios sharing these Hasbro, you know, one has one brand and one has the other. Like, surely they're going to talk to each other or they're seeing each other at conventions. Um, I, I sort of took it not that Hasbro commissioned this ad, because I feel like Hasbro was sort of less involved in the comics and more like this is Blaylock talking with Pat Lee. Like, oh, you want to you want to you want to do something together? Like, oh, it'd be fun to draw your robots. Like, oh, can we do a pinup? Like, oh, well, and then it sort of becomes an ad. Um, but I also, I think, was this released as a poster? It may well have done. Um, I feel like this is uh, this is sort of less about synergy and more about like sort of friendly, mm-hmm. you know, Having like convention. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the second I spy I spotted was uh, just having Scarlet's brothers in there, which is a uh, a callback to uh, to Scarlet's file card and also I believe uh, the cartoon as well. In the file card, it says that Scarlet's father and three brothers were martial arts instructors, but um, I don't believe they were ever seen in the comic. We just saw um, the the sister uh, who tried to turn off her um, life support machine, as Jay will remember. <laughs> yeah, and that one brother's as big as a tank. He's a he's a big old boy. So there was this, there was a story on the cartoon that that sort of lent quite heavily into Scarlet's family. wasn't Wasn't there an episode, Tim? Yeah, um, Joe family members get kidnapped in Captives of Cobra from uh, of course. 1985, season one. I think this that was one that we even got over in the UK on a VHS release, full force. But m- more important than the little nuggets of joy in the Easter eggs. We also love spotting little nuggets of festering, mouldering problems <laughs> in Error Detected. Error Detected. Error Detected. No prize incoming. On the cover to issue eight, drawn by Mike Zek, there is a telephone and it only has nine buttons on it. But <laughs> phones have nine buttons and then also a third row for star, zero, and pound. But this is, you know, one of those uh, like red Pentagon uh, telephones. So it's, it's, it's not a standard issue telephone. <laughs> Very good. You know what my line is? Those other three buttons are still in the pencil. <laughs> I approve of that joke. <laughs> good uh i i thought you might have had the same one as as me but but not the one that i noticed was that we had a mamba landing on the roof of the silent castle but as we all know there are no flat surface areas where conventional helicopters can land asterisk editor's note issue 120 um wow very good very good that's no prize yet. We're we're a few years on from the events of that uh, issue, um, and Destro has uh, renovated his castle and taken a side step away from Cobra and felt that uh, he would no longer need those same 
uh, defence needs as he once had, and possibly having uh, an accessible helicopter landing point was more convenient than having a fully defensible, impenetrable castle. Also, in issue, is it uh, 137 or 138, the Silent Castle transforms. It like reconfigures like a transformer. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe when it's half transformed, there is a, a horizontal <laughs> surface for a mamba. Could be, yeah. <laughs> Can I throw a nitpick in here? Go on. Why do we call it the Silent Castle? Well, have you ever heard it speak? I mean, I understand because it first appeared in the silent issue, but nobody's going to call it a silent castle. That that seems to me to be one of just the dumbest things. <clears throat> this is Destro's silent castle. Okay, nobody talks. We're going to put subtitles between like an old silent movie. But I mean, his, come on. His, his other castle was in Scotland and that was full of Scottish people and they are very well, loud. They're going to talk. Very, very loud castle. It's, Transcarpathia just doesn't allow mm, talking in their castle. No talking there. That's Jay's nitpick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, let's go with Yo Joage, shall we? Uh, our score out of 10. So uh, we were both came in quite low, me and Tim, on the last issue. G.I.J. was in with a high seven. How are we going to fare with this? Jay, we left you to last last time. Let's You go, go in first. You're going in strong. Oh, wow. Now that I have to think about it, uh, <laughs> I guess, geez, I really, really, really kind of screwed myself with that first one, didn't I? Uh, because now it has to be, well, did I enjoy it more than the first one, which I gave a 6.5. I gave number five, seven. So I guess we'll continue this one with a number seven, unless we're at some point going to maybe say, uh, let's edit these and I might move everything back uh, one point. But yeah, I I liked it um, more than reinstated, probably liked it about the same as uh, as the last one. So it's getting better. I mean, if if they get an eight out of me, they'll be uh, they'll they'll be doing a good job. But right now I'm going to stick with the seven. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this. Uh, I it felt like quite a breezy read. Um, yeah, fun to be had. I think I will go in with a seven. Um, yeah, not not touching the high peaks into the into the uh, uh, seven and a half upwards um, scale yet. So there there's room for improvement. But but yeah, uh, uh, I definitely enjoyed it still, and uh, not a regrettable read. And would quite happily go back and uh, reread this one. I give this a six. On, on a bad day, I would give this a five, but I'll give this a six. Um, it's greatly elevated by the covers. Everyone's getting better. Blaylock gets a lot of credit for cramming in a lot, but also, except for that second to last page, not cramming in too much. Um, some of this is also, this is not fixing the mistakes of the first arc, but you know, one of the things I don't like about the first arc is Alexander. And here we get to see Alexander punished. Um, Mm. and you know, that's, that's external. That's me reacting as a fan, not as a critic. Cause that's not, that's not me saying like, this is a good writer choice or a bad writer choice. This is me saying, yeah, that thing that I don't like, it's getting minimized. And, and also, also Armada was handed over to, to Cobra Commander as well. I was just going to mention that. And that was a bit, I don't know, it was a bit of a strange scene. I wasn't too sure how to take that, um, what do we he, think Cobra Commander's going to yeah, do? Yeah, he's. He says, well, what did we think she was doing with these two women in the first place? Right, like were they 
were they prostitutes? Like that was an issue we had mm-hmm. in that arc where we we don't really see Joe characters, you know, trying to like really right. date or anything sort of spicier than, you know, kissing Baroness and Destro kiss or Flint and Lady J don't kiss. Yeah, yeah. This I I thought I thought sort of as a, as a villain parlaying with a villain it worked. It's like, oh, I'm also going to give you this other woman, this other person, that woman you'll remember from that night. But in terms of G.I. Joe, it, it felt a little off, a little harsh. Mm, yeah. Your offer has suddenly become quite enticing. Um, yeah. I'm not too sure what he, quite what he has in mind for her, but uh, I guess... Uh, yeah. Is he just going to torture her or something else? You know, is mm. Cobra engaged in sex trafficking now? We don't know. Yeah, it's 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 kind of the setting it up with setting it up as you, you may remember her fr- from your chambers the night you were seized by Alexander. Can yeah. be, yeah, sort of. I don't know. I wonder if we'll see her again. Hmm. Yeah, you know. Let's, let's Me find and out. You don't know. Yeah. Well, I hopefully would have known at some point. I've forgotten entirely. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chief. <laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be surprised. Uh, <laughs> okay, with all the comics talked about, uh, have we got some toys to talk about, Jay? Yes, we do. Jay, 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 Jay is here with a toy Nofia, talking G.I. Joe collectibles. It's a favourite figure, let's pull the trigger, three and three quarter inch or bigger. Okay, as I alluded to earlier, uh, what I want to talk about today is uh, Beachhead. Now, I had thought about doing Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow since they do play such a big part in the second story arc, but I think that's probably a bigger discussion for another day. Um, so, yeah, I decided with Beachhead since he does feature on the cover of, what was that, number six or seven? Seven, maybe? Beachhead's first appearance in the Marvel Comics series G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, was issue number 47 from May of 1986. Now, that was right after Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow ventured to Cobra Island to kill Zartan. Zartan escaped, and Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow were fleeing the island on a Cobra hydrofoil. Uh, Pursuing Cobras blew up the hydrofoil, causing Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow to plunge into the ocean. And as Snake Eyes and two Cobra eels fought off a frenzy of sharks, Wetsuit, Hawk, and Beachhead pulled Snake Eyes safety. Beachhead's real name is Wayne R. Sneeden. His birthplace was Auburn, Alabama. Primary military specialty was infantry. Secondary military specialty is small arms armor and grade is E6, which I believe is uh, a sergeant. Now from the original 1986 file card, Beachhead was a lane instructor at the Ranger School in Fort Benning and an observer slash advisor at the Covert Ops School in Central America. He's meticulous, patient, and strong-willed. He likes getting up at 0600 hours to take a 10-mile run and PT session before breakfast. He enjoys squatting motionless beside a jungle trail for three days straight, waiting to ambush bad guys that might never show up. What he hates is people who aren't interested in doing their best. Uh, qualified expert, all NATO and Warsaw packed small arms. And there's a quote that says, Most folks will get mad on occasion or at least irritable, not beachhead. He thinks anger is a waste of time and energy. Rage clouds the vision and pollutes logic. Fury impairs judgment and makes you careless. The results of anger are totally unacceptable to Beachhead. He doesn't get angry, he gets even. Almost sounded like a Jedi for a second there, except for that even part. Now, since his original release in 1986, I think Beachhead has proven to be one of the most popular characters 
mm. from the entire franchise from 86 to 2014 there were 17 different versions of the character made in a three and three quarter scale um, some of them were incredibly detailed and faithful to the original design of the character um, i would say at least six of them were horrific mockeries that should never be spoken of looked at or purchased by anyone ever again <laughs> Um, now, from what I was able to determine, there were at least four different 12-inch figures of Beachhead, uh, including two pretty terrible ones from Hasbro, uh, one all-right one from Hasbro, and an amazing one from Sideshow Collectibles, which I'm not sure what it went for when it was um, originally released, but that's one that probably if I had been into the hobby at that time, I might have had to pick up because it's really spectacular. Uh, now, as always, for the purposes of this retrospective, I want to look at the original Beachhead from 1986 and the Cobra Island Target exclusive beachhead from the newly released Classified line. The original beachhead uh, wore a green shirt and balaclava, a black vest, and what I always thought were extra magazines for his submachine gun on the front of his vest Yeah, and uh, camo pants. He has two sheathed knives molded onto his right leg mm-hmm. and a holstered pistol uh, molded onto the left leg, and I think it's explosives down by his boot. Now, his red Ranger Beret is molded onto the vest of his left shoulder, and I have to admit, as a kid, I had no idea mm. that was a beret. I, I don't know what I thought it was or if I even gave it much thought. Um, he came with a fairly large black backpack that had a sculpted crossbow on it, which I thought was kind of cool. And uh, on the side of the backpack, I thought it was a grappling hook, but I've since seen it referred to as a mine sensor. I kind of like my idea better. <laughs> uh, he had a light gray 9mm submachine gun, which I always thought was flimsy. Uh, so I used the submachine gun that came with hit and run with him instead because it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> he had a black ammunition satchel, uh, which I always thought was full of explosives. Uh, apparently, I wasn't very bright as a kid. because I got all this stuff wrong. Now, the classified Beachhead, which was released in 2020, is very similar in appearance to the 1986 version. There are some subtle differences. Uh, he still has a green shirt and balaclava, though it's a much lighter shade of green than the original. Uh, which was more of an olive drab color. He still has the uh, the black vest like the original, but it doesn't have the extra magazines on it uh, this time. And instead of camo pants, he's just got solid green pants. Um, now, instead of two sheathed knives on his right leg, which were molded, um, the classified figure actually has a removable knife on his left boot, which is really cool. And the molded holster is on his right leg now, and that also is a removable pistol. And those are neat touches, I think, for uh, for the newer figures to be able to, you know, take those things out. Mm, uh, yeah. The new figure has two black knee pads and shin guards on the front of his boots, which make him just look tough. I mean, this is a really one of my favorite figures from the line. Uh, it, it might even be my favorite. I mean, I had Snake Eyes and, and Scarlet, and then when I got Beachhead, I just, he's the one that I picked up the most and just kept looking at because it's such a cool design and he's such, such a, you know, I don't know, stout maybe is the word I want to use. It just seems like this is a tough figure. Uh, would be a, would be a real tough character. Mm. Now, his red Ranger Beret, which was previously molded onto the vest, is now a separate piece. And it actually does fit nicely on top of his head. Um, not sure why anyone would wear a Ranger on top of a balaclava, but whatever. Um, now, like Duke from the last review, Beachhead's backpack is... Is remarkably similar to the original 1986 version. Uh, the biggest difference being that the crossbow is now removable. And honestly, I didn't even realize until last night that the crossbow fits into a slot on the backpack. And the reason I didn't realize that, uh, aside from being not too bright, 
that brings me to my only negative really with this figure and indeed like the lack of the file cards uh, with the classified figures this is kind of an issue that i have with the entire classified line uh, i'm sure you guys remember with the original and, and thinking like particularly duke the way that the backpacks fit into them was a post on their back that would go into the the mm -hmm. hole that had the screw um, these ones are like that but it seems like all of them the post is really small the holes are really small and they just don't stay on very good uh, you could pick those old ones up by the backpack and Get that wasn't them. falling off but these new ones they're just not on there very sturdy now as a result i have all of mine out all of my figures are out there all standing on the desk giving me the, the evil eye but most of the accessories like backpacks and things i just keep in the boxes and hadn't even taken beachhead's backpack out until i started to write this review uh, it does look cool uh you know and now that i've kind of got it on there and he's just standing there i put the crossbow in it it looks really cool one last thing he does come with a larger weapon it's not any gun that i'm familiar with uh, in fact i believe like most of the other weapons included in this line it's not based on a real gun i've heard most collectors refer to them as nerf guns because mm -hmm. that's kind of what they look like now the one that he has uh, with the classified figure, it's it's very similar in shape to a, the Tavor TS-12 semi-automatic 12-gauge shotgun from Israel Weapons Industries. It's not that. It just kind of looks a lot like that. At first, I didn't really like this weapon, uh, mostly because it's the exact same green as his shirt, which is like a bright green. Mm. But I think the longer I've had it on my desk and I've, I've had him holding that, that it's kind of grown on me. Uh, I do have other weapons that I purchased from Bobby Vala's Actionverse. But it, at this point, it just seems kind of strange to use some of those real-world weapons with these figures. Uh, like I said, I've kind of grown on a lot of the, the weapons that they do have with them, and I feel like uh, it's kind of like seeing a car that's got all kinds of uh, stickers and decals on it. It's like, you know, the original designer didn't put that stuff on there, so <laughs> why would I change it from, from the way it was originally designed? I do like the way a lot of these look, and the beachhead, uh, I do. I really like this figure. Like I said, when I got it, I'm not sure what made me get it at first. I wasn't planning on getting all of the figures. I think I had uh, the promo Snake Eyes, and then I happened to see Cobra Commander in the store. And then uh, I saw Snake or Storm Shadow on Amazon. I got that, and uh, that probably got the ball rolling. And then when I got the Beachhead, I just kind of thought, well, that looks kind of cool. But then once I got it and I opened it up, I was like, this is a really neat figure. Like I said, he's... The construction is just really good. It's it's really one of the best ones they've done. So, um, yeah, that's it for my review of Beachhead. Great character. Very, you know, like I said, one of the most popular characters in the line. Uh, if you're a fan of the figures, especially if you're getting the classified figures and you don't have this one yet, definitely recommend that you get it. Uh, you know, there's a reason why Beachhead is is one of the most popular characters out there and why this is one of the most popular classified figures. Yeah, because they, they, they sort of dipped... I guess into into him as a figure to pick up as a very as a fan favorite figure um because i guess the 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 duke the roadblock scarlet snake eyes there uh all from a kind of similar era the sort of very instantly iconic ones and, and beach is a little bit further along in the yeah in the beach from is from 86. like the fifth or sixth year of 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 the line yeah he's he's not uh and i, I don't know how many appearances he made in the in the cartoon he, but you know definitely not 
you know, iconic as say Duke or Snake Eyes. Yeah, I think, and I think that that affection that people have for him is is mostly from uh, the, the the figure of it being such a cool figure and design and that you know balaclava and all of all of the the rest. And of it, it really was. It was just yeah. uh, in in terms know. of the in terms of the comic um, and particularly the Hammerverse, there hasn't been a I guess a huge amount of usage of Beachhead. I don't think there's been like a Beachhead centric um, story. Correct me if if there's if I'm missing something obvious, but um, it, I don't I think, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think he's always been a bit of a, a sort of supporting team team member just off to the sides without too much focus on him as an individual character. Um, and that, yeah, probably a little bit more in the, in the car cartoon, some, some memorable appearances in the scenes in the, in the movie. And, and yeah, I think a bit, a bit more of a featured uh, character, certainly, um, you know, with uh, his own uh, voice actor and all of the, all of the, all of the rest of it. And I think he, he was sort of, you know positioned as a kind of um what is a sort of like a sub commander you know working alongside yeah one thing i read said that he was like fourth in Blue. command yeah i think a lot of his popularity does come from just the uh i think from the the fact that it's such a real world design i mean it, it looks like this could be straight out of special forces i mean it's it, it's always just been a great design that really resonated with fans he's he's a badass mm-hmm. and you know, we we respond to the badasses. You know, like Snake Eyes is a man of mystery. Roadblock's really big, although he's also really friendly. Uh, there is a line in uh, I think it's in Arise Serpenter Arise Part One, the first episode of season two from '86, where uh, Beachhead said says, "If I was in charge," and Falcon says, "But you're not. First, it's Hawk, then." duke then me then mm. you mm. um and and he is he is throughout season two i think because he's such a tough guy in the show and and you know that scene that we all love from the animated movie which is somewhat recalled here on the cover to issue seven where he's mm. giving a dressing down to a lineup of new of new joes Rawhides. i think yeah uh, I think we respond not just. I mean, I, uh, Jay. I know certainly my brother was immediately into the toy because he looks so uh, realistic and tough. You know, he doesn't look like the first version of shipwreck. He doesn't look yeah. like blow blowtorch. Yeah. Um, and I know that I was responding to him because on the show he's 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 a badass. Yeah. And yeah, E six his rank that's staff sergeant uh, definitely. Falcon would be able to pull rank on him because Falcon's a lieutenant. But yeah, he's, um, like I said, he's just a, a, a wicked character. Great design. Always been one of my favorites. That's why I hated to see the ones, like the second version is uh, blue or something. And then the third one has like yellow web gear. And <laughs> I just have to shake my head and think, what are you thinking? You've got like a perfect design right here and, and you're going to go complete 180 but yeah I, i'm really glad that the classified designers have uh, have chosen especially as we get deeper into the line like flint and lady j um, they're not out yet but from the pictures we've seen they look like the three and three quarter inch figures just blown up to six inch i mean there's very little difference with them and uh, you know i'm glad that they've gone that way with a lot of them and, and they've stuck to what makes the characters iconic yeah for sure yeah, it's uh, heartening to see that they've taken so much inspiration from from the iconic aspects that, that mm -hmm. really you know resonated and sort of 
kept those characters in in people's sort of minds and affections for for such a long time and not to chuck that out the window which i think is a big part part of the mistake they made with uh the yeah. original with the with the gi joe um film franchise is that um you know oh, there yeah. wasn't enough in there sure. that that was everybody was just dressed in black G- D- yeah the dna of gi joe and the iconic costumes and so on cool which that- is why the spirit didn't work for me that we talked about last time oh forgot to mention that so spirit i think tim you were not a fan of the redesign am i correct it was me and you that didn't like it and mark did like it That's yeah it just looks like exactly what you said it just looks like snake eyes yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah more and it wasn't just that i dis uh, i liked it and you disliked it you, you seemed a little bit shocked by the fact that um uh it was a popular design at the time yeah for sure anybody that disagrees is not going to be allowed to listen to the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so last not kidding, just kidding. So, just kidding. so on last di- disavowed episode, we talked about the spirit redesign, and uh, specifically, I said that the the that black sneaky suit look um, I quite liked, and and it was very popular at the time. Um, you know, resonated well with a lot of fans, and and led them to to releasing it as a figure. And you two was just incredulous that anyone could like that and it was <laughs> far too much like a just a generic snake eyes suit or, or whatever so i put it out to the people and i and i asked them uh the devil's due sneak suit design for spirit what did you think for the win or in the bin and the votes came in as 12 votes for the win and five votes for the bin. So oh, 12 to on. five. Wow. That is a, a tidal wave of support for the spirit. Okay, so uh, let, let's go. We, we can go back into this for a second. Wow. Um, it's two things. It's that it's all black and also that there's no there's articulation. No yeah, there's no articulation. If you took, if, if you gave him like gloves and then like a chunky vest and then like uh, knee pads or something and it was all black... It's like, oh, well, he's still a tracker, but it's in black. But it's like, no, he's just wearing his Snake Eyes cosplay. <laughs> yes, we should. Uh, all the listeners who voted uh, for the win next time we're in person at a convention. Let, let's talk about this in person. <laughs> I can shake the my pe- head and frown the people have spoken, in front of you. Tim, you are, you're an enemy of democracy. Yeah, uh, those <laughs> folks can buy us a drink and try to change our minds oh dear so there we go uh so that that's uh that's us finished talking about toys uh next up is the moment that everyone's been work waiting for it's innuendo attention at this moment you are now listening to talking innuendo if you are offended by words like sucking flesh wound willie pete Balls, crystal balls, hypno shield. Whatever. Take the tape out now. This is not a pop album. And by the way, suck my grandmother's mother- brick in a Prada handbag. Now, as a reminder, if you're in the right frame of mind, specifically my mind, then a lot of G.I. Joe names can sound a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that was too long. You can a pause. say it. Um, a lot of Geo Journey names can sound a little bit dirty. So the challenge for Tim and Jay is: can uh, can they get through a list of ten GI Joe names without tittering, or indeed guffawing? 
Um, I feel so, like this is unfair because I'm basically 12. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can't get through anything even halfway. You know, well, this is why it's... My favorite it's, show is Family Guy. I'm able to what make this segment like? last longer by having the episodes where, where you're on it, Jay, because then I don't have to get to the end of 10 and run out of names. <laughs> okay. Are we ready to go, Tim? You're, you're we are ready to go. Okay, yeah. here we go. Tim's like, oh, grudgingly. <laughs> okay. Sky Creeper. Big Ben. Ding dong. Cobra. Well, that's not that's not fair if you add two Ding words Dong's after not it. a name, is it? That's not fair. Because <laughs> I smile, but I wouldn't let myself open my mouth and exhale. Yeah, it's please, please, please continue. Uh, to be fair, I said Ding Dong. I didn't go. Oh, Big Ben. Ding Dong. <laughs> okay, we've established that's not allowed. I'm shaking okay. my head. We'll wait for the, uh, the laughter to subside and start again. Oh, boy. Okay. It's going to be hard. Cobra Overlord's Dictator. Man. <laughs> Tim uh, cracked first. I love it. I don't like this game, but I hope our <laughs> listeners do. That was three into three. Excellent. And you, that was totally because of the way you said it. If you have just said dictator. I always say dictator like that. Like three distinct <laughs> syllables? Yeah, dictator. Isn't that everyone? Yeah. I don't oh, think dear. so. I don't think that's the way Saddam Hussein said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should. Uh, you, you should hear me read aloud uh, the Nightwing comics to the kids. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, guffaws are plenty. Um, I'm afraid to. <laughs> Every time Batman speaks to Nightwing, he's like, um, "What do you think you're doing, Dick?" Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that oh, is that is our start, I think. Kids. Uh, (laughs) in a uh, week's time i think we are back for one more sketchbook special uh where we will be uh looking at some of chris mcleod's uh sketches and prints that he has uh collected over the years uh that's because we're all up to date on era so um we'll be uh, reading the next issue of that when it lands in uh, a few weeks time Uh, Return of Diagnostic 80. Yeah. But join us uh, back here in a fortnight's time for the next four-parter, Malfunction, which will cover issues 10 to 13. And we didn't touch on it in the recap or anything, but that features the return of Zarana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Back with Zarana and a lot of bat action, I believe, as well. Um, you can find uh, us in all of the usual places, talkingjoe.co.uk. The website has links to all of them, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email, YouTube, and now Patreon as well. So set up there for a £5 a month subscription and you'll get all sorts of extra goodies as well as supporting the show and paying off our subscription costs to uh, recording and hosting this stuff. Um, remind us, Jay, where can people find you? On Facebook, uh, Jay Cordray or Break Room Sketches. And Tim, have you got a website? I forget. Instagram, A Real American Book. Facebook, A Real American Book. Best of all, A Real American Book.com. There you go. There hey, go. do you have a website for your store? Yeah, Hub Comics, H U B. 
that's where you can watch uh, our renovation videos. I make and post a new one every Wednesday, and all of them are cataloged at youtube.com slash hubcomics, uh, where you can watch them in reverse chronological order. <laughs> or if you click on the playlist button, you can watch the first 17 in a row and then the next 15 in a row, because this has been going on forever. Can we watch them all at once and speed it up and put Benny Hill music in it? <laughs> you, you can, but then you, then, you don't, then you don't get the subtlety of my, of my acting performances right. and all my editing decisions. Very good. Uh, okay, yeah, so I'll, I'll do the wrap-up now. Um, <laughs> when all said and done, you can catch us down the road because we've been talking Joe and we're all out of Joes. Laters.